The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, Kinky Connections and Kinky Education. We're kinky, done differently. what women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun discussion about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy, as well as an intimate discussion about how to connect with our own authentic self. With questions asked by a guy. And now here is your host, John, or as we call him around here, hi there, catsuit. consultant based in the Philadelphia and South New Jersey area. Mia has been formally involved in the alt-sex community since 2017, but has been drawn to the margins of desire from a young age. While her class roster is varied, she has a particular predilection for discussing sadomasochism of all kinds, power exchange, and the psychology of BDSM. Mia is also passionate about educating the public on kink literacy and sex work. Now, Mia Action on what women and other wonderful humans want. It's five questions about memorable firsts. We call it the first five. First time you ever used the name Mia Action and where did it come from? Well, I mean, it's kind of a silly name. <laughs> Um, in a way, because if you spell it out, I mean, it's Mia, M-I-A, action. So if you kind of spell mm -hmm. it out, it's 
MIA action. So it kind of doesn't make sense a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, essentially, it just comes from the like acronym of missing in action. Um, I probably started using that name um, sometime around um, 2017, I'd say. Yeah. First time you had a scene as a pro dom, and what were your thoughts going into it? So my start as a pro dom was kind of interesting. It wasn't necessarily a totally like, this is the start of pro and this is like the end of pro or this is where lifestyle starts and this is where it begins. And I, I mean, I think that that's the case for a lot of people. Um, I mean, in lifestyle, I, that's one thing that I talk about a lot in, um, in my education work is kind of the fluidity between like sex work and lifestyle communities is that there isn't as much of a dichotomy as people think that there mm -hmm. is. But so to answer your question for me, um, I got my start in terms of like doing pro work. Um, honestly, I used to be a dancer. I used to be a stripper back in 2013. And so some of the first work that I started doing was um, experiences in champagne rooms with clients that would come in with fetishes or would come in with like sadomasochistic desires and kind of like share those with me. And I, um, and that would probably be kind of the first like mini like tastes of experiences that I had in that realm um, in terms of like a professional sense. And then the other place that I kind of started um, getting experiences like that was through OkCupid okay actually. Um, people, <laughs> people would contact me and, um, you know, express all kinds of things to me um, that they were interested in kink wise. And there was one person in particular who had contacted me and said to me, like, I'll send you $200 if um, you'll be mean to me and call me a worthless whore. So that was the name that I gave him. And so I had this like short relationship with this person that um, that was my first, like, I basically fell into FinDom in that way. Um, I didn't solicit it. You know, there's the stereotype that like, people on like dating sites that are fandoms or like these shitty like people trying to like manipulate people someone literally contacted me and solicited me for that and like gave me a taste of that um, but that would probably be um, the first two experiences that that come to mind but in terms of like a real um, like my first session it was a, um, a face sitting session actually and um, again it was like I had a, a, a profile on FetLife and people, you know, as many women do, get lots of people like contacting them, like shouting their fetish desires at us, like telling us all the things they want us to do to them as end quote dominant women, da 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 da. And so what I started doing is just being like, okay, like this is what this costs if you want me to do this to you. And you know, obviously most of the time people would just be like, no, or like not answer or something. But then the one time the guy contacted me and was like, I want you to like butt drop on my face until I see stars and rub my nose raw, like fuck me up. And I was like, okay, this is my tribute. And he said, yes. So um, my submissive boyfriend at the time drove me to his house in old city <laughs> and waited outside like my security guard. And uh, I went in and did it and it was fucking cool. I don't know. It was like a great, it was a great first time. It felt really awesome and fun. And uh, uh, yeah, I fucked him up. It was great. <laughs> First time you ever had an inkling that you had a dominant personality? Um, my first memories of sadism were probably um, being around 11 years old and having tickle fights with my friends, actually. 
and uh, holding them down and tickling the crap out of them and being like, oh, I like this in a way that like is not like normal. Like, like there's something wrong here. <laughs> Um, you know, obviously still fun, still consensual, all the things, but like, yeah, probably like my first like inklings of like noticing some like sadistic or like desire to cause discomfort or pain or suffering in other people would have been from a pretty young age. First time you ever taught a class, what was it and how amazing was it for you? First time I ever taught a BDSM class mm -hmm. in particular. Is that what you're saying because my background is um in education interesting so, like, i studied um well i started in special education in school and so like there was you know within my classes like volunteer work that we had to do where i would go and also i come from a family of teachers and educators so from a younger age like i was kind of coming in to my parents school and you know teaching like like working with their students and stuff like that so it's kind of again like there hasn't been a lot of like official this was the first class mm -hmm. but um i've always been a person that like likes to think deeply and interrogate things and learn as much as i can and then relay that information to people i mean it really just started with like being involved in the local bdsm community if i'm being honest and um people coming up to me and just asking me to teach them various things that I was doing. Like, I wouldn't say that it started with like a formal, like everybody is showing up and, um, you know, like paying and like sitting and watching me, but like, yeah, it, it like was more. And then like, I was also involved in, um, there was this event called Kinkarama at the BDSM community center um, that I was involved with called the Philly Music Hall, where it was like, like a, you know, like an a la carte, like you can try different experiences mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I mm -hmm. used to volunteer for that. And then um, in 2018, this is, this would probably actually be my answer. In 2018, um, I started an event at that community center called the Power Exchange Roundtable, which was um, a support group and a discussion group for people that are interested in various kinds of power exchange. Um, I consider my educational style to be pretty collaborative and pretty like relational. So it's not as much about necessarily just like my knowledge and my wisdom and what I'm imparting onto other people, but like what we kind of come up with together. And when I created that group, I was in at that time, like the first real power exchange relationship of my life, who is still now my submissive and, and my partner. Um, but I was like, I don't really know anyone else who's really doing this the way that I'm doing it. Like, I don't really have community like this. So I'm going to start this. And um, you know, I have the experiences that I have based on the research I've done online, but I want to hear like what other people are doing. And so like from that, that's like how I really generate my content and my classroom material is from, um, yeah, like talking to other people. And I mean, that, that, and to answer your question about how it felt, um, that was, I think the best attended non-play party event at that particular venue at the time. So it was a great event. I loved it. And I actually just started it again. So last month I did the first one since quarantine or since lockdown, I guess. And then actually this Sunday, um, I'm, I'm doing the second one. So, yeah. That's fantastic. When we return on what women and other wonderful humans want, we're going to talk more with Mia Action and find out why she gets so happy putting people in pain. Hi, this is Venus, and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship 
with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. Have you ever wanted to try something a little kinky in the bedroom but had no idea where to start? Or maybe your partner just told you they're into water sports. No, not the jet ski kind. And you really want to fulfill their fantasy, but you're nervous. That's totally normal. I'm Kate Sloan. I'm a sex journalist who's talked about kink in magazines like Cosmo, Playboy, and Glamour, and on my podcast, The Dildorks. My new book, 101 Kinky Things Even You Can Do, is a guide to some of the hottest and best-known kinks out there, from age play to zapping and everything in between. Each section offers three suggestions for ways you can try out your new interest with a partner or even by yourself. Curious? Order your copy now at 101kinkythings.com and start learning new things about your sexuality. This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think and more rewarding than you can ever imagine. Yes, Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. And now back to this episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Welcome back to the show, joined by Mia Action, who was my very first person I met at Kinky College. And it wasn't at the event. It was as we were both getting on the bus to go to the hotel. And of course, you had your big suitcase there. And I don't know what I had, probably my computer or something. And I introduced myself to you just going, well, we're both going to the hotel. And suddenly I realized you're one of the tribe, so to speak. You're one of one of my people. Uh-huh. When I met you. I just met a very confident person. I didn't know if you were Dom or sub, but I knew that you were there with intent and with a certain confidence that I knew just from the way you talked to me. I'm not okay. sure how you thought of me, but uh-huh. it was very interesting to meet in that way because I hadn't met you online. I didn't know anything about you. You were just a lovely person I was talking to. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, that is interesting. Like part of me is curious when I meet people, like those are like kind of fun moments, like out in the world before you enter the convention, like you see people, you're kind of like checking them out. Like, who is this person? Is this person going to the thing I'm going to? Are they not like kind of looking for flagging indicators? So I was definitely like, you were standing next to me and I was kind of doing that, like looking at your suitcase, seeing if there were any stickers on it. Like kind of curious and then also like sitting there kind of trying to be like is this person like dominant or submissive like yeah like kind of like trying to get the vibe but you can't know like that's like the really interesting thing about like fetishists and like sadomasochists you really can't necessarily know what someone's power orientation is based on the way that they present themselves in day-to-day -day life um and it, it also just like i guess kind of made me curious like i know you said you weren't sure if i was dominant or submissive but um, yeah, I, I always kind of wonder and, and, and have this feeling because I'm like a very small human, you know, like I am like pretty conciliatory, like polite person just out in day to day life like, and then it makes me wonder like what people's perceptions of me are like in vanilla life versus like once they find out more about me and what I do, and what I'm into like, if those things are surprising, I guess. Your size didn't surprise me at all because some of the most powerful women I know aren't necessarily the tallest. <laughs> you have your picture of, I guess, your latex-clad tall woman with boots and all that as your stereotypical thing. But the fact is, it's the mind and the heart that is the dominant part. It's not the outward physical being. Absolutely. And you have such confidence in your own skin. Yeah. And I could tell that from the moment I met you, which is why I probably thought you were on the dom side when I met you because <laughs> of your confidence and your yeah. ability to just get right into a conversation because most subs that I know would be going, hi, it's, nice to meet you. And what are you here for? Not that, you know, I'm a gregarious person, but um, when it comes to talking to people, sometimes I get really shy, except if it's uh -huh. in a podcast, and then I can talk all day. So I'm right. curious, yeah. if you don't mind me asking, what was your perception of me? Well, for sure. I mean, if I'm being completely honest, there is that like gendered component that like people wrongly assume that I mean, I'm certainly guilty of it myself. You see like a man that is like tall and um, you know, whatever. And, you know, within the context of like larger life, you might like, there might be like natural inclinations to think that somebody is dominant. Um, I didn't necessarily get that vibe from you. I think I just like, didn't know either way. Like, I just wasn't sure. I think when you started talking about having a podcast, I was like, okay, maybe this person's more of a top, like, uh, and I'm like sitting there, like trying, like trying to be polite and just like trying to like, just like politely, like suss out as we're like, cause we were sitting next to each other, um, you know, on the bus and chatting and just like being like, okay, we'll find out eventually like what, what the vibe is here. Um, and then like, you were like, no, like I'm mostly submissive. Like, it's like, okay, actually, you know what? That makes sense though, because there are so many submissive men who um, are so passionate about, you know, femdom and about like their submission and their inner world, their kinky inner world. they like, like podcasts and like expressing themselves, especially on the internet is like a really like generative safe space to do that. So that actually like doesn't surprise me whatsoever. And I still 
although I do this podcast and I've heard all these stories and, and I exchange so many ideas, I still consider myself a relative newcomer to the whole thing mm -hmm. because I had never experienced anything like what a pro dom would do until after kinky college, but it, it was actually during kinky college that it happened because Mistress Mary from Minnesota came over and played with me along with Professor Gray. And I had no idea. I said, I wonder who this person was I just played with because it was during the open dungeon scene. And I went and looked at the, the profile and then I clicked on the link and I was like, oh my God, I just played with Rodom. And it was just one of those things where it was the first time I had ever felt the confidence of a top being so powerful. Uh -huh. And so it was different for me. And, Amazing. And as you mentioned, the difference, and as we're about, as we're recording this, this Sunday, I'll be hosting a presentation on Dating Kinky's Femdom Weekend, talking about mm -hmm. the space between lifestyle and prodom, mm -hmm. where I have two prodoms who are joining me and a person who says, I am a lifestyle dom, but she is just as talented and vicious as any prodom you would meet. So with you, you said you had started somewhat in the lifestyle and kind of fell into the pro side. What is the main difference, if there is any, between the mindset? For sure. Absolutely. Okay. So I actually don't know, like the way that I kind of described it before was that I said that I fell into pro. I think that for me, um, especially with people who have, so I myself, like with money fetishes, people with money fetishes in particular, that like see power and money as like, um, as it pertains to sexuality is very inextricably linked. Like there are certainly people who identify as end quote lifestyle doms who have money fetishes or into financial domination. And that like people can't necessarily like parse out that like being a pro dom and providing a service is like different than like having a money fetish, but that the two can very naturally go together. So like what I would say is that for me, there is um, regardless of whether it is like pro or it is like a personal relationship um my sexuality is highly transactional like there is just this like component of me that like lends itself so nicely to like pro work because like within power like especially like female power um especially as it relates to men in this gendered way like I do see things as like what am I getting a value from this person if it's not money like material in some way whether it is like labor whether it is um, time, whether it is their skills and expertise, um, whether it is um, a particularly profound way of thinking, like there needs to be something materially of value that is like adding to my life. So that is kind of the way that I frame femdom and like female dominance in general. And so for me, it just feels like a natural, like there is just a natural thread for me between those two things. I don't think that everybody necessarily like relates that way um, to pro-doming versus lifestyle. In fact, like there's plenty of pro-doms who in their personal life are submissive. And that, um, you know, and, and in fact, that gives them a particular like upper hand and strength in their ability to like see that perspective and offer to their clients like um, 
a, an experience that like they can firsthand like relate to. Um, I don't necessarily feel that way for myself, but I do like pride myself in being able to see things um, and like understand and empathize from multiple vantage points, multiple vantage points, even if I myself like maybe don't identify as submissive. I think it's fascinating to me to hear how you talked about the transactional part and you talked about how things kind of fit in for you. You say you have a partner that is your sub. Is there a different mindset that goes into playing with your partner that you love or someone who is coming to you for a session? Because I'm guessing that people who come for a session are potentially asking for specific things when you kind of had this have this lovely relationship with your sub where it's more of a mutual bringing joy to each other. Absolutely. Um, I think that, of course, like with any like, like, I mean, when part of your job is to like, um, relate intimately to other people when it's like highly relational, I think like even maybe like therapists, maybe like grapple with these Mm -hmm. kinds of things like that, like, of course, there are boundaries. And of course, there are like differences between how we relate closely to like people within a professional context versus a personal context. But I think, and I can't speak for other people, like, as in, like, I think there's a tendency for people to ask, like, oh, well, as a pro-dom, like, do you, I, I feel like the undercurrent is like, do you actually like it? Um, and I don't think that's what you're saying, but I think a lot of people like kind of do ask that. And like, I can't speak for other people, but I can, you know, definitely speak for myself. And that even with my partner, like we have a FinDom relationship. Hmm. So my partner, that is like chastity, orgasm control and financial domination is the underpinning of our relationship. Interesting. Which like for me personally allows the space for me to like feel the full range of emotion and care for him. Right. Um, that is just like a core part of my sexuality um, that I think like a lot of women and people in general, but like I can, you know, only speak for my experience and my gender. Um, there's, you know, a lot of shame about that, about like women monetizing and like being transactional in their sexualities. Um, but I, I am like someone who is like very much an advocate and a proponent of like normalizing that as long as like everybody involved is okay with it. You know, that doesn't have to be for everyone, but it's also okay to be for it. Um, but definitely I would say like, there is something though that I get, I get so much out of like playing with people that like, I, maybe it's not the particular activity I would have chosen on that given day, but I am being given a challenge. I'm being given, I'm being given like an opportunity to really like look at this person's psyche and like, look at them and like create this experience that is going to excite them. And that is something that like, like in this way that, and then we can go about and we can have boundaries and we can have our separate lives. And like, I love that kind of relationship. That is like an extremely meaningful relationship to me. It doesn't mean that it's less than having, you know, a relationship with my partner, but certainly there are, there are fundamental differences there. I have often said, and this is just because of who I am and how old I am and the way I was brought up that I tend to have a lot of emotional currency in my transaction. Uh And there was a debate uh, in the local community here in Cincinnati where a husband of a woman who's a lifestyle dom had said, 
anybody who plays with Adam should be giving her gifts or paying her tribute or showing their appreciation to them in some way tangibly after mm -hmm. playing with them. And I had happened to have played with his wife who had topped me the weekend he wrote this. And I didn't know if he was coming at me or not. And as it turns out, he wasn't. Uh -huh. But I retorted, and that's a bad word, but I responded would be a much better word, that I had emotional currency that through my emotions and my connectivity with this person, I think they felt that appreciation while our scene was going on, that I had absolute attention to them. And I also go and write very long blog articles describing what the scene meant to me, mm -hmm. which to me is a beautiful gift. Absolutely. Because I think the, the dream of every Dom is to have somebody present with them at all times. Very true. Very good point. Uh huh. So when you have a session and it, it feels, it, are there times when people just want a fetish dispenser or can you genuinely tell when they want to connect with you? Um, I'm certainly there are people that just want a particular fetish. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, the majority of people who are coming to me are self-selecting towards more connection. Mm. Um, I personally, so like just quickly respond to what you said before about like the prescriptiveness of like should or should not do this or that. Mm -hmm. Like sure, like in my personal like philosophy and outlook on femdom, like I might share some of those sentiments and there's still space there's no prescriptive of what any one person should or should not do mm -hmm. for anyone. Like it is a conversation between two people um, being clear about our needs and expectations and seeing if those things align. And there is no shame in any one way of doing anything um, in either direction. Um, and like to that end, like speaking to the idea of like, there is this like shame about people like and quote, just wanting a fetish dispenser, right? Because there is a lot of this like culture of people like viewing, like, I, I mean, women, like, and like everyone, it's not even just women, it's people, other people as, um, you know, objectifying them in non-consensual ways, like, like, and like expecting things and like not having that like attunement or awareness of like, oh, maybe this person wants something else from me. But I don't actually think that there is something inherently wrong with wanting to end quote, use somebody to get our fetish needs met. That is part of the reason that I do what I do. If somebody has a particular like um, sexuality, a particular fetish that I also enjoy or share that they need that need met, at the end of the day, they're tributing me. Um, I don't ex necessarily expect more than that as long as there is a fundamental respect in both directions. Um, if somebody wants to like connect in a more um, meaningful or a more um, intimate way, um, that's fine. That's great. I enjoy that. That's my preference. Um, but certainly, you know, you can tell the difference between somebody who 
is like just you know maybe just has more of a like this is how I relate to my fetish it's not necessarily related to like romantic orientation it's not necessarily related to like wanting to be affectionate um not everybody wants those things like especially like fetishists like there is this wide spectrum like there you don't necessarily have to want like to like show up to a relationship or a way of relating to someone the way that society thinks is normal or okay like again like if everybody's on the same page that's fine so like yeah if somebody has a foot fetish and they want to like suck on my feet for a fucking hour um that's fine like i don't i'm not i don't know like i am not the kind of dom who like takes myself so seriously that i can't be like yeah cool like let's do that like you're tributing for my time i think it's hot that you think my feet are hot enjoy my feet for an hour and then you can go about your day that's fucking cool great but if if but if you would like to build more of like um a rapport and like explore the meaning that like submission has as it relates to your foot fetish we can do that too um it really just depends on the people it seems like one is an action and one is an emotion Mm -hmm. absolutely and that like this is something that i talk about in my one class and actually you mentioned the um the uh the women in charge flr Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm teaching at that as well. I'm teaching Sunday at 10 a.m. I'm teaching my class emotionally charged play, hum- humiliation expanded. So it is talking about like one of the things I talk about is that like humiliation um, is not one. There is not one universal way to evoke any kind of experience in anyone. And on the other side, um, any physical hard skill, like physical kink activity does not evoke any particular emotion. Like it really depends on your context your relationship to that activity. Um, yes. So it, yeah, I think that like people just like thinking more intentionally about, about those things is like very self, like serving like the purpose of, um, just getting our needs met Mm -hmm. like more effectively. You mentioned humiliation. And I said, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was things that I didn't quite understand and some that scare me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're speaking about humiliation during the Dating Kinky Women in Charge weekend. Some people would say that humiliation goes too far because they need to be confident in who they are. But Uh there's other times when people don't realize what humiliation can do for them, especially if they're having a hard time understanding who they are themselves. So Uh talk to me a little bit about humiliation within a scene and some of the things that it can do from your perspective. There's, There's this book that I talk about in my class, Emotionally Charged Play, that I'll be like expanding on in the class that's written by um, a psychotherapist um, named Michael Bader. And the book is called Arousal, the Secret Logic of Sexual Fantasies. And in that he talks about that our sexual fantasies are generally symbolic of unconscious fears and anxieties that many of us hold. And we create these sexual fantasies within ourselves that serve to be corrected, excuse me, that serve to be corrective um, in allowing us to create space to become aroused and enjoy Mm -hmm. ourselves. So for a lot of people, 
I, I think that like looking at the things that we find humiliating is like a direct reflection of like the things that are important to us, right? And the things like it can say a lot about us as people. And yes, so this kind of play can definitely be very like self-exploratory. Um, and if done within a context of trust and intentionality can be very generative for people. Um, and at the same time, I do like to push back on that notion of like that sex and kink should or should not be good or bad or right or wrong, mm -hmm. that like there has mm -hmm. to be these certain precursors of like ethics or like morale around like the rightness or wrongness of any given activity. Obviously, of course, as long as everybody involved is consenting and there's informed consent, like those are obviously bottom line things. But that like any particular activity, you know, there, there is a social script. There's a social script around with humiliation play and emotional degradation, these ways of relating to one another, even just power exchange in general, even just dominant submissive, these ways of relating to other people are subverting normative social scripts about how in society we are told we are allowed to relate to one another. Like, and we have certain ideas of like what humiliation even means. Like within the kink community, I think people mean like being mean to someone, name calling, like things like that. But, but to be honest with you, there are things that can be humiliating to someone that might not even necessarily involve being mean or name calling or degrading somebody. Mm -hmm it's really about this particular activity and like what it represents to another person. For example, like we were talking about foot fetishes, right? There might be somebody who has a foot fetish who just finds it extremely erotic in their own personal like way of relating to feet and to women's feet say, they just um, are like, this is hot. I didn't internalize a lot of shame or a lot of like, this doesn't speak to anything negative about my masculinity. This doesn't make me weird. Like, I just fucking like feet. I like sucking on feet. They're hot. So that's not humiliating to them, right? Mm -hmm. But then you have another person who maybe had a different experience growing up, or maybe they, like, there were just other wires that were crossed. And to them, feet are like, and also the, like your cultural context, right? Like the country in which you were grown, that you grew up in and like what feet even mean to you, like from a societal point, like to some people, like to put your feet up on a table is extremely fucking disrespectful to show your feet to someone is like extremely taboo, right? So like to somebody else, like to like kiss somebody's feet is like, oh, this is like an act of submission and subservience to women. And I have internalized messaging that like being submissive to women is dirty and wrong and makes me like a pussy and all these things. So that feels humiliating to them, right? So like same activity, different context, different people, different experiences, different evoking of emotion. So when we start to try to dictate and describe what emotions and experiences are okay for people to have in sex and how they become aroused, that really starts to become sticky and it starts to become problematic. When you talk about humiliation, you talk about things that are definitely in the submissive realm. And there was a bit of a conversation and discussion about bottoms versus submissives. Uh-huh. Are most people who think they're submissives actually just bottoms? And at what point does it cross over to being submissive? Now, I will preface this by saying labels are labels. It's yeah. what is in somebody's mind. Yes. However, and speaking personally, 
The idea of going from a bottom to a submissive means that I am letting go of control of things that I desperately am scared of letting control, mm-hmm. letting go of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And my desire in this day and age, and to be able to enjoy it while I still can, to understand what that change is from being a bottom that enjoys impact play and enjoys feeling the impact and and the restraint and all of that. And finally going over to a place where I'm like, yes, I want to totally give up my control here. That scares me. (laughs) I'm just going to say it scares me. Is that part of what having a guide like you allows people to do because you can move past that fear in people? Mm -hmm. Um, If that is what they want, Mm -hmm. that is again, like the caveat is like, not ever, like some people, like they have a relationship to fear that they're like, this is something that like a part of me wants, a part of me desires. And another part of me is afraid of, And there are some people that want to play contained within their comfort level. And part of submission for them is being with somebody who knows them so intimately that can guide them within their comfort level, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's other people that submission means to be pushed outside of their comfort level. Um, And so like around it, like being bottom versus submissive, I mean, to me, like the term bottom, like really... again like labels are labels right but to me like bottom indicates like some kind of like material like physical like activity like there is like an an actor and a person being enacted upon like Mm -hmm. that is like what top and bottom means and then so like submission like certainly like um being a bottom like that many submissives are going to be the recipients of like the desires or like the activities that the top or the dominant are enacting upon them but it doesn't but I think yes that like submission is much more of like a psychological like concept than it is um and I I do think that there are people because of the like the natural like I think like even like common rhetoric around like SM, BDSM and power exchange is like top. I mean, it's even like you hear it in gendered, like top is giver is person who fucks, right? And bottom is passive submissive recipient. Like there's like this, these like ideas of like recipient and giver are like built into our language, right? So it like can be very different to difficult to like parse these ideas out and like separate them from each other. Um, but I do, and, and, and therefore I think that a lot of people, because they haven't even like thought, they haven't even been exposed to the idea that there are like more possibilities that people do use the idea of like submissive and bottom interchangeably. So then that can create issues with like a potential play partner who is like, no, I would like more control, but this person is using, I would like control, but this person, this like recipient partner is using submissive and bottom interchangeably mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't align with maybe the definitions that the top or the dominant are using. So again, like, I don't think there is like a, an all or nothing way of like saying like, this is what this categorically means. This is what this categorically means. But um, I do think that there is like a tendency to conflate 
um, terms, and it would be more helpful to be more specific. And that is like another class actually that I'm currently working on. I, I haven't selected the venue yet, but I am working on like, as like, I am really passionate about the idea that like, in particular, like dominant people can be masochist as well. Like I identify as a state of masochist, like, and there are specific parameters and like conditions under which I enjoy pain. Um, and I think that there are a lot of dominance that like feel shame about this or like feel like vulnerable or secretive about this because like there is this like entanglement of the idea of like dominance and topping and bottoming and submitting that people like can't expand their minds. So I am currently working on some course material that is like really unpacking that um, and like hoping to encourage people to to like think a little bit more deeply about the possibilities of sensation and power and, and like non-binary thinking, I guess. Thank you for providing such great perspective on it. I really appreciate that. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about very sticky things, I'm not talking about things that stick. We're talking about things that stick and go, ouch, <laughs> because someone likes needles and they scare me too when we return. <laughs> that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works, real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should, dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. Hi folks, Key Barrett here, and I've got a question for you. Do you think your wife or girlfriend makes the best decisions and you want to support her any way you can? Ladies, do you think your partner works best when they're told exactly what you want? You both might be looking for a female-led relationship. From mild to wild, these strong relationships have one thing in common satisfaction. Read Surrender Submit Server on Audible, Kindle, and Paperback today to start your female-led journey, and good luck. Hello, all you dear listeners of this amazing show. My name is Anya, and I also have a podcast called Sexual Alchemy, and I would love for you to come discover what we're doing over in my little sliver of the world talking about sex, our paths to figuring out our most authentic expressions, unshaming all aspects of it, and generally just creating community around people who want to explore whatever their most authentic sexual expression is. So I hope you enjoy listening. I hope you reach out and I hope you become part of my little community that I love so much. Join Anya for Sexual Alchemy and listen to my episode. It was an amazing interview. Sexual Alchemy with Anya, available where you get your podcasts. Are you liking what you're hearing? Check out the Total Archives wherever you find your podcasts. And please remember to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And while you're there, help John out by giving him a rating and a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now let's get back to what women and other wonderful humans want. 
You love needles. And I, I worry about needles and blood. And ugh. I mean, I hate going to the doctor's office and just getting a blood test. And Same. <laughs> it, it's, uh, what is it about the joy of needles? Because I know you tend to love them, at least from what I've seen in pictures of, of scenes of yours. Yeah, I do. I do, I do love needles. Um, I love blood in general. I do consider myself a blood fetishist. And in fact, like you're like, um, <laughs> some of my shirts do have blood stains on them. Um, <laughs> that I like do have a thing where like, obviously, if I have been like, properly negotiated with the people involved, I will enjoy um, once I take all the needles out and they have bled, um, pressing their skin onto my shirt to create a like blood stain mm. on the shirt is like a thing that I, I really do enjoy doing. Um, I have this, uh, there, I did a, um, an interview with seven days of domination last month. That was a blood play talk. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually free on there. Um, but I talk, you know, I do talk a little bit about, I talk about blood in particular, but I, there is this one, one section where I talk about cock needles in particular and oh. about like what I love. <laughs> Pardon me, I'm shifting this? in my I'm shifting in my chair. Continue. Yeah, are you sure? You good with it? <laughs> I I think our audience will love it, so I will okay. I will <laughs> do my best. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, so to me, like there, I have this like general philosophy in um that I think is like kind of humorous, like in in lifestyle and pro, like that I have this like idea of like extremes, right? So like money holds like an incredible emotional extreme in many people blood and like gore holds an incredible emotional extreme so these are like two like blood and money are just like mm, the things and when and when they can go together that is like like chef's kiss like the hottest thing ever so like um yeah like there's this one section where I talk about in the presentation where I'm saying like to me like cock needles like sticking needles in somebody's cock is like one of the most subversive and like extreme acts of power exchange that like a woman could do, a cis woman, like a woman could do with a, with a man in that like, it's subverting so many societal expectations in that like, he's not penetrating me. I'm penetrating him with needles and he's not getting pleasure from his cock by interacting with me. He's getting pain, at least not pleasure in the conventional sense, right? That he's taking needles in his cock, I'm penetrating him. I'm making him bleed, not come. Right. So it is just like this, like total, like subversion and like flipping upside down of, of like sexual scripts and expectations between men and women um, that I just find so erotically charged. And like, yeah, like to me, it's like if, if you want to do like I like that is like. Yeah. So you can like hear me just like I consider myself good with words, but you can hear me like faltering a little bit in, in, in the way that I'm like speaking not so eloquently. So you can tell I'm into it. <laughs> I am trying to see and I'm being honest and saying I'm trying to see how that could be pleasurable or uh -huh. is it strictly a masochistic thing that somebody enjoys i'm trying yeah. because i understand i've started to understand impact i mean when yeah. somebody hits me really hard with a flogger and i feel that i totally get that mm -hmm. but one of the 
women here in Cincinnati, Lady Lorelei, whose husband is named Balzor, which I absolutely love, she will literally treat his penis and balls as a speed bag. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they've done needles somewhere down the line, but I adjust my underwear and something goes <laughs> wrong and I am doubled over in pain. <laughs> yeah. How does one prepare themselves for this? I guess I'm asking. I do think to an extent there has to be some sort of like um, predisposition towards wanting that, right? Um, that, you know, like not everybody likes the same thing sexually. I mean, I think that that is the same case for S&M. I think that um, not everybody can like be taught to enjoy CBT. Um, and in particular, yeah, like that kind of pain, I think is, is, is so psychological in nature. I think that like having pain inflicted on your genitals, like regardless of what kind of genitals you have, like that's a highly like mind fucky kind of experience to have. So, well, I do think that there are people that can come from it from a place of like, I want to stretch my limits. I want to stretch my boundaries. I want to like do something that scares me like for sure. But like, I think that like, it should only be something you prepare for if it's something you want to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and then also this, like what you said, this isn't necessarily answering anything. Like it just made me think of something that like, like some of the folks that I see, like in particular that are into ball busting or CBT, like they actually don't like pain on any other part of their body. Like, for example, like they don't want to be spanked. They don't like, they don't like it. It doesn't feel good. It hurts. It fucking sucks. But they will let me kick them as hard as I can in the balls. Wow. And will like beg for it. <laughs> the mind is amazing. Amazing. It is just so amazing. Yeah. Like I've actually met like multiple people that like, they don't like like most kinds of pain, but like in terms of like erogenous zones, like tits or like, um, like genitals, like, yes. Like there's just something there that that is like the context in which pain can be like processed as erotic. Mm-hmm. I find it fascinating. And I remember starting a Twitter conversation with Lady Vi, aka Satanatrix, about ball busting and about kicking people in the balls. And I said, I'm sure there's a joy that doms get out of this. Help me understand. <laughs> and it became an entire Twitter thread with all sorts of doms chiming in about why they enjoy kicking somebody or providing pain to one's genitals. Do you have a take on what brings you the pleasure? I mean, I think I kind of spoke on it a little bit earlier when I was talking about the cock needles in particular. I mean, I think that that, that could apply in general to any kind of pain is that like, um, I think there is this like gendered expectation. I mean, understandably, because our genitals are meant to, you know, the, the, the majority of people experience sexual pleasure through like normative kinds of like fucking and things that there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but um, that I think it is this like subversion, you know, of 
like doing something ouchy to a guy's bits. Um, it's kind of mean and funny and amusing. And like, we're like told that's like a really mean and like not nice thing to do to a guy, like kicking them in the balls. Like that's really fucked up. Like to like, just do that to someone. So like someone being like, yeah, I want you to kick me in the balls. Like I find that kind of funny and like amusing. It's like a game. Um, like they're my like play thing kind of in a way is like kind of the way that I would think about it. Yeah. As we get ready to wrap up, I'm going to ask what should have been a first question, but I will finish with it. Mm -hmm. Explain to me the joy of a sadist's mind. What is it that really ticks all the boxes and makes it such a joy for you? For me in particular, because I can't speak, because um, just in the ways that masochists, submissives mm -hmm. are very complicated, dominance and sadists, we are also very complicated. And I think that there is this like, like um, there is like a disproportionate, like, um, like expectation for like bottoms and submissives to share their inner experiences. Whereas like dominance and tops and sadists are not interrogated as much about our motivations, right? Um, so like, and I, I, I'm just so interesting. I've been having this conversation with so many people um, that there's so many different ways to experience sadism. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be about um, like enjoying the look of somebody suffering or being in pain. And in fact, for me, um, extreme expressions of like pain and agony are not necessarily my jam. Like, in fact, for me, it is like this kind of like, um, like desire to like do these things and like, and like be indifferent to the suffering rather than it's about um, like enjoying the suffering in and of itself. It's this like level of sacrifice or this level of like, you're letting me do this thing that I want to do that I know is difficult for you. And like, you're like having fun while doing it or like not complaining, right? Um, so I, I feel like the question of like the sadist mind, that's like a very, yeah, that's a big, that's a big, big, big question. Um, but yeah, I think, um, for me, it is, um, much more about, um, yeah, like a more of an indifference or a, um, like permission to to inflict pain than it is about like, like getting off on somebody, like looking like they're like suffering in extreme pain or agony or anything like that. I know that my queen, when, because she's very much a sadist and it's funny that we get along with each other as much as we do, because she is very much a sadist. And I was a total sensation person when I started. And as I've grown in the scene, she gets the greatest joy out of seeing how far she can take me because it seems as though part of what goes through the sadist mind is that beauty of I was able to bring this person to this spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can definitely identify with that and it being like a yeah, like a collaborative, like a team effort. 
Um, and as I'm like thinking through this, like I think also for me, like my preference is like playing with people who identify as like sexual sadists so that like, it's not as much like, yeah, like, like there's the indifference part that it's so interesting. Like, as I'm like sitting here talking through it, I'm like saying things that are contradictory, but you know, we have all these parts of us that are, you know, oftentimes very contradictory that like, there is like, yeah, that, um, yeah, like there is also a part of me that like really does enjoy the like idea of somebody like getting off and like sexually being like aroused by something that is considered like not the norm for sure. Like, I just think that's pretty hot. We have covered a lot of subjects in, in our hour and I really appreciate you taking the time. What's the best way people can connect with you and stay in touch with you? If you're interested in meeting me, my website is miaaction.com. I'm quite active on uh, FetLife as well. My username is just miaaction. Um, Instagram, I'm miaactionofficial. Twitter, I'm miaactionbdsm. Um, those are my main um, places, uh, but probably FetLife is the place I'm the most active. I am so happy that you and I shared a bus ride. Because it brought us <laughs> together to not only be able to meet each other, but to obviously have the ability to communicate with each other and also learn so much about you. Thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time and appreciate your wonderful perspective on things. Thank you so much. I hope everyone enjoys. I so enjoyed Mia sharing her perspectives and it was everything I imagined it would be. Looking forward to keeping in touch and following Mia as she moves on in both her education life and her life as a pro dom. I have a hunch I'll end up seeing her at a conference sometime soon. And that will do it for this edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Next week, a show that I have been anticipating almost since we started this show. We get to meet Seattle dominatrix Ruby on Rails. She is a fascinating dominatrix. But when you realize what she's had to do to just live lately, you will be inspired by what you hear. Ruby on Rails, next time on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. I'm John, also known as Hi There Catsuit. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time, and I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. We invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want. P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky done differently.